0: Ensure your next purchase is a real deal and shop authentic handbags, watches, sneakers, streetwear, and jewelry from eBay, backed by Authenticity Guarantee. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity, like Progressive Home and Auto Policies, They're best when they're bundled, too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary.
1: Hello, you're listening to the New Yorker Poetry Podcast. I'm Kevin Young, poetry editor of the New Yorker magazine. As you may know, on this program, we invite poets to pick a favorite poem from the New Yorker archive to read and discuss alongside a poem of their own that's appeared in the magazine. My guest today is Rachel Eliza Griffiths, a poet and artist who's received fellowships from the Robert Rauschenberg Foundation, Provincetown Fine Arts Work Center, Cave Canem Foundation and Yaddo, among others. In 2012 her collection Mule and Pear was the inaugural winner of the Poetry Award from the Black Caucus of the American Library Association. Eliza, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me, Kevin.
1: So, the poem you've chosen to read today is Rainlight by WS Merwin. Can you tell us why this one felt particularly special to you?
0: Sure. So, Unfortunately, and very sadly, recently, we lost W.S. Merwin, although we still have his poems. And each day I've been thinking about Merwin's work, um, his spirit, his energy, who he was, all of the different things he saw in his life. and then just the fact of kind of time passing, and at the beginning of the year it was Mary Oliver. A few days after W. S. Merwin, it was Linda Gregg, and I remembered actually the the issue of the New Yorker when this poem came out, and how I kind of tore it out of the out of the magazine and carried it around until it kind of fell apart in my hands. There was just something in the poem for me um, that spoke to so many uh, aspects of of living, um, and ways to be. And so I think that's some of what I can say. And Merwin himself said that Rainlight was not a rational poem. And I just love that.
1: Well, let's hear it. Here's Rachel Eliza Griffiths reading Rainlight by W.S. Merwin.
0: Rainlight. All day the stars watch from long ago. My mother said, I am going now. When you are alone, you will be all right. Whether or not, you know, you will know. Look at the old house and the dawn rain. All the flowers are forms of water. The sun reminds them through a white cloud, touches the patchwork spread on the hill, the washed colors of the afterlife that lived there long before you were born. See how they wake without a question, even though the whole world is burning.
1: That was Rainlight by W.S. Merwin, which ran in the March 3rd, 2008 issue of the magazine. I'm really glad we're talking about Merwin because he was in the magazine over 200 times over seven decades, which is just an incredible thing. And I've been thinking a lot about both the magazine, being fortunate enough to have published him that much, but also that relationship to a writer, which are there other places that we can think of that had that sustained connection? I'm not Sure.
0: No, I don't think so. I I mean, every time I saw a Merwin poem in The New Yorker, it was an event. And I found myself, again, kind of ripping the poem out to carry it around with me and, and really appreciated uh, whenever those events would happen. There's so many. It's so rich. It's wonderful.
1: Yeah, I miss the... Uh Magnetic. It's the one thing I <laughs> miss about magnets on fridges. Is you know the poem, or you go to someone's house and be a New Yorker poem from ten years before that got them through. Absolutely. I love that you cut that out and kept it. Uh, its disintegration seems also part of the form of the poem. Almost, it's a poem about leaving, but also about what stays. Um, it has that elegiac tone that I think Merwin often has. Do you think of it as a proper elegy or just elegiac? How do you think about the form in a way?
0: Um, it's interesting because it is elegiac and at the same time I find a certain kind of reassurance in it of a kind of um, going on or continuum that there's a kind of way that you move in the world and know the world even though holes and gaps and like things go missing and lost and... Merwin writes so much about memory. And so it kind of is this assurance that you will be remembered, things will be forgotten, things will be saved or lost or discarded, and yet the world will go on. And I love the sense of the world in the poem. Um, So it's elegiac to me. But at the same time, it has that that strange Merwin energy, where the whole world is burning. Sounds intense, but at the same time, it sounds like, well, here's a way to go forward through those flames, which I love.
1: Well, it's like a cleansing fire or or Mm -hmm. a light in a way. Yeah. I love that line, the washed colors of the afterlife. How do you take that line?
0: It's extraordinary. I mean, I don't, I don't. I'm like, how did he get away with I that? Know, like, <laughs>
1: that's the kind of line. I'm like, if someone you know hands that in, people are like, well, I'm not sure the wash. But what then, of course, that's... that's what you're going to remember. You know,
0: exactly. I mean, I I think Merwin seemed to me to write from this kind of first mind, mm. intuitive, mystic kind of place, and the washed colors of the afterlife. It seems. Um, I don't want to say baptism, but just kind of this certain dying, like D-Y-E, dying of faith, but also um, that there's something to be made. Like mm-hmm. there's a there's an object, there's a, there's an art to this. Um, and it also reminds me, I was thinking of it on my way here, that I had just last week checked out this Jasper Johns show. And I kept hearing Merlin and that energy of Jasper Johns, um, his regrets and these different things and caustic work that he does. And it has that kind of gray grays and whites and nuance and shadow that is happening. And I feel like that's happening in this poem, too, that I could walk into a gallery and see rain light, um, <laughs> which is cool.
1: Yeah, it has a physicality. Mm-hmm. And I love that about the Johns is a fascinating comparison because, you know, Johns is using a caustic and often you know, using wax with color right. in it. And it's like a tough process, but it leaves this kind of built yeah. up color that's almost uh it's not just saturated it's almost part of the canvas or something it's
0: like residue and then you are burning you're burning you're scraping you're you're chiseling and so that kind of burning i'm like oh i can see that i can see that as a thing I also really love in this poem all the verbs of kind of watching, see, look, um, reminding us to kind of be observant in our day-to-day moment, even though we're most mostly engaged with kind of where the fire is, like what's happened today in the news, and here's the fire, and we're all stampeding toward it. But actually, there's also this other kind of washed out, kind of chilled out spot of bliss that you can find if you want to find it, if you want to see it, and that it's there anyway for you, whether you're seeing it or not.
1: Well, it's interesting because rain light is both uh, physical in a way, but it's also a kind of idea. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it might be something that you see in the rain or the light of the rain. There's a lot of double and triple meanings there. But then it starts with the stars. Uh, in the daytime, which is one of those fascinating things that when you realize the stars are always there, but we think of them as, quote, coming out at night. Right, nocturnal. That's, yeah, that's a really interesting uh, place to start, not with with light that isn't there.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that just rain light also is never static. It's always going to be something different than the last time you saw light um, touch rain or that kind of, like, nature Um, I especially love in New York, particularly, you know, the way the sky can look after a rainstorm or before a rainstorm. There's something almost theatrical and di- dramatic about it. And at the same time, it's never never repetition. And at the same time, there is a repetition of every night, here are the stars again. Here's the rain again. Here's the light again. Here's death again. Here's flowers again, water again. <laughs> right. And that there's this cycle. You know, I, I think he was at the hull of that cycle, especially with his garden and just his right. way of being in the world.
1: Well, it's very classic kind of almost an ode, uh, Mm -hmm. the language you mentioned with John's, the chiseling. And I I feel like what's fascinating about Merwin is how he chiseled away at his form, you know, and Mm -hmm. poetic form in general, Mm -hmm. but specifically his sort of mid-century, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, metered form that he started with and then he changes here uh, and elsewhere into something really present. And I think in other hands, like we're saying, the wash colors of the afterlife or these big ideas of the sun and the hill and the cloud would become lesser. But for him, they become archetypical because they're Mm -hmm. so earned. They're so Mm -hmm. much part of his form and what his vision, let's call it.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. The way that you can read it, I love that you have to really be mindful of your own breath while you're reading it. And the words kind of sit in a breath. They sit in air and remind you how he's able to break the line so that when you're reading it, it also sounds very similar. And it's kind of the weight happens or the inflection happens on the words as you need them to feel um, or need them to be the way burning could sound, how quiet the poem is. And yet this urgency and immediacy. And actually, I feel that this poem could be picked up 50 years from now and there would be something worth your breath to say, worth his breath to hear, and you can hear his voice. I also was thinking about this poem because I only saw Merwin read once, many years ago, um, uh, I think around Shadow of Serious Time. Mm. And he read at the 92nd Street Y with our beloved Lucille Clifton. Um, I was looking at his work and then thinking about Clifton's where there is this forging, this burning this you know the way that breath happens um in her poems and so I found this kind of symbiotic energy about kind of the world and the voice and kind of this is what I know this is what I don't know but here's a poem (laughs) here's a birth here's a labor here's work yeah I like work thinking about the two of them
1: do you think that the poem is uh a gesture toward knowledge, or it comes out of knowledge, or is it a gesture towards f- discovery, or is it both?
0: I think it's a mixture. Yeah. I think it's a mixture. I mean, there's some knowledge that you have that no one else has that you, you know, you offer into the poem: your deciding form, um, devices, language, rhythm, sound, musicality, images, you know, lyric, whatever that is. I mean, the most interesting poems to me are kind of, you know, you get to the end of the poem, writing it or reading it, and it's you know, this rubber um, echo and echo of, of discovery as far as I, I never want to. And I know many poets feel this way. I never want to set out to write a poem that lacks discovery, mm-hmm. that I just know what the end is and here's the bow That's right. the most boring poem. <laughs> <laughs> so right. um I well, think it's, it's a mixture.
1: Well, it's interesting because both of Clifton and Merwin, I think, are poets who on the surface, might seem their work is simple or, or uh, you know, it's unpunctuated often, mm-hmm. but it's so punctuated it's so by line break. And, you know, I think her line is very different. Mm-hmm. But I'm, tr- I'm very interested these days in thinking about breath and the line as a breath and what does mm-hmm. that mean and, you know, are mm-hmm. our breaths different? Here, there's almost a kind of breathless quality, but the lines are so clear to me yeah. in the Merwin. And Clifton, I think, gives us a really interesting different complicated uh version of speech as well
0: absolutely
1: i almost wanted it to be a sonnet but it's not quite right
0: no no it's it's bucking against the sonnet i mean (laughs) darn
1: it i always (laughs) want everything to be almost a sonnet (laughs) um oh well i'd love to talk with you about your poem so in the february 11th 2019 issue the new yorker printed your poem heart of darkness which you'll read for us shortly. Uh, is there anything you'd like to tell us about the poem first? Don't give too much away, but is there anything that might be important for listeners to know in advance?
0: Um, I don't think so. I think this poem is pretty straightforward and um, its its energy and sound, and it is a sort of elegy, uh, I'll say that much. And uh, it's an elegy for a particular person in a particular city Uh At a particular time Um, and, you know, the time that I find myself in now looking around New York sometimes and things vanishing and reappearing and coming out and going back. Not quite the same when you meet extraordinary people who leave and, you know, you're left with with what they what their vision was.
1: This is Rachel Eliza Griffiths reading her poem Heart of Darkness.
0: Heart of Darkness. Years ago, I went to NoHo Star with some poets and Cecil Taylor. NoHo Star is closed now, and Cecil died yesterday. I walked to Union Square and watched black men playing chess, rubbing their jaws while the afternoon light poured down the gentle rooks of their fingers, hanging above a queen or pawn. Cecil Taylor sat across the table from me, Wearing leather gym shorts, rainbow-striped knee socks, a fringe vest, and a face so musical, I could hear the notes blunting and banging as he low laughed and looked like a lion who had bitten off the ancient secret of a soft roar. I liked him right away, said yes when he asked me if I would share a dessert with him. I, in an ivory dress that was vintage, the kind my mother would have worn, with chiffon sleeves, the shining air made the loose dress cling to me, the way a special music clung to Cecil Taylor, followed the radical swing and swag of his voice. Do you want to have the heart of darkness together, he said. That looks sweet enough. I remembered later when we stood on the sidewalk, sugar and poetry in us, Heat coming off the summer night in the city always made me feel I could never leave New York. He kissed my cheeks, said he had been fooled. I didn't think they made women like you anymore. Tipped his cowboy hat and took off his sunglasses. My God, in the dark, his eyes burned so clear and wild, I thought the sun was out, roaring through our hearts like a song. Daring its hunter to aim
1: Thank you very much Sure That was Heart of Darkness by Rachel Eliza Griffiths
0: Hi, I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor of The New Yorker Each week on the Writer's Voice podcast New Yorker fiction writers read their newly published stories from the magazine You can hear from authors like Colson Whitehead
1: Turner nudged Elwood, who had a look of horror on his face They saw it Griff wasn't going down. He was going to go for it, no matter what happened after.
0: Or Joy Williams. Her father was silent. Slowly, he passed his hand over his hair. This usually meant that he was traveling to a place immune to her presence, a place that indeed contradicted her presence. She might as well go to lunch. Listen to news stories or dive into our archive of great fiction. You can find the work of your favorite fiction writers and discover new ones. Listen and follow The Writer's Voice wherever you get your podcasts. With access to so much information, it's hard to feel like an informed, discerning citizen. That's why on Make Me Smart, which is a podcast from Marketplace, we make it easy for you to stay in the know. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdahl. Every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I unpack the latest from Washington, D.C. Uh, the Senate minority leader has announced that he will step down as the Republican leader. What's happening in AI? I, I mean, don't buy at the top, but holy cow, artificial intelligence and all the companies related to it are the, the hot new thing. And we do. The numbers. So, as a refresher, inflation is the rate of increase in the prices of things. It's not just sort of things getting more expensive, it's a speed at which things get more expensive. Because in a world that's constantly changing, we all need to stay smart. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I'm really amazed by your reading of the poem. You're a one-take artist, which I (laughs) admire, not being one myself. (laughs) But I also think that there's something about the breath in this poem. Uh, The line breaks are uh, very—there's a lot of enjambment. There's a lot of turning uh, the line, and I I love— that and jam it's such a good word, meaning throwing the leg over from one mm-hmm. line to the next. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something about you capture I think wonderfully Cecil Taylor, not only his amazing outfit, <laughs> um, which I both am jealous of and just amazed by, <laughs> and this kind of flirty uh wise musical mm-hmm. character that he has even when he's not playing music,
0: yeah. Cecil was extraordinary and I remember this day it was kind of one of my New York days I was just arrived in New York in a way and you know he comes down the street like a unicorn like he just like there's no one I mean the clothes the everything and he just knew himself he knew the sidewalk that was under his feet the air around him and so he has that beautiful he had that beautiful way. Um, you know that musicians and music people have, where they're just hearing a song all the time, and you can tell that they're kind of bopping around with it. Um, but even the way Cecil talked, you know, long pauses sometimes, and then a flurry of words. Um, and I had never met anyone like that, and I don't, I don't think anyone will ever meet someone like Cecil <laughs> Taylor. But also, if you heard him play, the right. actual dissonance, um, the movement, the cacophony the triple enjambment of just the lines kind of Mm -hmm. stacking up on each other, toppling over, flipped over, leg, arm, (laughs) elbow up, um, whole body, yeah, (laughs) and so wild, you know, and startling, I think, in a way that I want poems to be, just startling and troubling and surprising, where you can't sit back and have, like, the poem wash over you. You've, like, got to put your elbow grease in it and, like, get involved.
1: Well, I, I think that, you know, our listeners, I'm sure, have heard Cecil Taylor, but perhaps it's been a while or haven't, I think this poem will remind them of the ways that he is so inventive and, as you said, sort of physical, mm-hmm. but also unexpected. And I, I think that mm-hmm. quality is in the poem, both in his style, let's call it, but also in your lines in your, uh, in your, uh, and your enjambment and your elbows and and knees and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really interested, too, in the way that, you know, were you familiar when you met him with his music, or I mean, one must be. But were you?
0: I was slightly, but not as much. After I met him, it sent me running to find his stuff. And again, there's a certain kind of rarity in him where you have to look to find Cecil Taylor. And you so have to get was, involved. What did you
1: find? What was your tell? Tell us your discoveries.
0: I just felt like this cat is wild. <laughs> this brother. I mean, this is an OG. I mean, <laughs> uh, a great, great radical right. just and I was listening and listening and I thought wow like how did this happen you know yeah. <laughs> it's like an earth in front of you in your ear and like was there um, a record
1: that for you is is totemic of his
0: no because you know I think he was always after something different each time yeah um,
1: well, one free jazz I think or however we want to characterize him yeah. it very much is yeah um,
0: ruptures everywhere and at the same time it, it just It was full-bodied, full-throated, I feel.
1: I love that. Yeah. Well, I love this, too, where you say, with some poets in Cecil Taylor, (laughs) because also there's an implication, of course, that he is not a poet, but also that he is a -hmm. poet in the poem. And you say that later. I remembered later when we stood on the sidewalk, sugar and poetry in us, period, heat. (laughs) That's a great uh, Mm -hmm. line break. And you capture a lot of things here, a New York summer, which, you know, unless you've had the pleasure of <laughs> 95 <laughs> degrees sweating in, in the, the subway, subway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, perhaps is, is a foreign uh, pleasure, but then it comes pretty soon, you're like, I love that, you know. I often am here in August and everyone's gone, you know, to yeah. wiser cl- and milder <laughs> climes, and I'm like, you know, sweating in your, uh, the shower. Yeah. Um, but I also think there's something about you're capturing about memory mm-hmm. because. I'm really interested in the mix you have between memory and elegy. Now, these things often coincide, but there's something about how you start the poem. Years ago, I went to No Ho Star with some poets and Cecil Taylor. No Ho Star is closed now, and Cecil died yesterday. I walked. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's this, you know, the walking is almost part of what the poem is doing. It's kind of a walk, and I love the idea of a poem as a kind of walk or a a motion through the world. Um, But there's something about that dining, which poets like to do. Yes, Uh, very much so. um, And that sharing that he's saying, Mm -hmm. um, this heart of darkness, which you're trying to capture. Tell us more about that.
0: Sure. So, you know, I really love what you're saying about the kind of walk. And, you know, I remember when, you know, the announcement went up that kind of, that Cecil had died, I thought, you know, I, you know it, it just really overwhelmed me, and I just started walking. You know, I literally started to walk. But I, as you said, like, I'm walking through memory. You know, around the time that Noho Star closed, Temple Bar closed, like, all the French Rose had closed. Sure. I'm like, oh, I'm in the era now where everything I love just <laughs> is closed. <laughs> um, Cafe Loop, I think something, I think that's been seized. And so... Um, right.
1: I mean, Coulson says, uh, you know, you're a New Yorker the moment when you say that, like that used to be this, you know.
0: Right. And I I find myself, you know, even in the last few years with so many tremendous poets kind of leaving us and, and things dying, but particularly with this. Um Cecil, in some way, had kind of rem- remained in memory this moment for me, that all those years since that actual moment, I had never tried to write about Cecil. I had never tried to say, oh, that was a great poem. Suddenly it was the collision of all of these things kind of being dead or dying. And then Cecil there brought them together, which made me actually think I could write about them. I mentioned my mother who died five years ago. And so that, too, was kind of in, a f- in photographs of her from the 70s, these kind of chiffon dresses and things. And so in a way, I was able to pull her in the her presence in the poem as well, but it was one of those nights in New York where you know NoHo Star had this wonderful dessert menu that was all kind of literary things, and uh, Cecil Heart of Darkness you couldn't even make it up, and that's <laughs> the, that's the way sometimes New York can be where something happens in a night or a morning or someone walks down the sidewalk or you see it's a corny word, word like a miracle, but it kind of it is that. And it's it's about memory, but it's also kind of like going forward. But then you have this thing in you now, um, that you can pull up, or you th- you thought you'd forgotten. And I hadn't really thought about that until I thought, when did I first meet Cecil? You know, mm. and then that's when I just sat down, and started scribbling, um, really thinking of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, I think the thing I was going to ask you about the mother, mm-hmm. because that vintage dress in an eye and an ivory, what a great. Set of phrases there. I in an ivory dress that was vintage. Instead of saying I was wearing a old vintage, you know, <laughs> I was wearing this kind of off white. You know, the, all the choices there I think are very sharp. But also, there's this real sense that the speaker, uh, the I, is invoking the mother, um, mm-hmm. both in the poem and the memory and uh, the elegy, but then also in the selfhood in this new. Uh, the new to the eye dress, the new Mm -hmm. garment, you know, that, that is being sort of conjured here.
0: Yeah. I think that feeling of kind of, as I get older, the way that I see my mother is in the mirror in the morning. Um, Mm, and so myself at this time when I met Cecil being in the dress, I was more me. Sure. Um, And now thinking about it, you know, my mother is in every dress I wear in some (laughs) kind of way, Uh, whether she would approve or not is another question. But um, thinking of her as being who she might have been back in, you Mm -hmm. know, the 70s or something, wearing a kind of dress like this as a young woman. and, And, you know, what was she like and who was she? And so there, there's something in that. As far as also, I mean, I just was like, "Thank goodness Cecil complimented me on my dress because he looked like a rock star." And I like, "Oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> this you knew, man is you cool." Knew,
1: <laughs> you had no idea you were going to meet him. You, you were just no, a total okay. okay. I
0: never met him before, but like, you
1: were styling, luckily.
0: As we must, <laughs> as we must, Kevin.
1: <laughs> so I have a I have a question sort of about your work in general and mm-hmm. thinking about. I know for me and my work, you know, my father dying, it's almost like before, you know, and after, yes. you know, in terms of one's work. And I wonder how, um, do you feel like your work's changed? Uh, and is this from a new body of work? Tell us about that.
0: Sure. My last book was called Lighting the Shadow. Um, to loop back to Merwin, Merwin is definitely present in that kind of notion of light and shadow. Um, very much so. And I turned that in in 2015 in July in the summer, actually, and literally two weeks later, my mother died. So the woman who wrote those poems, who, you know, did those edits on that book, a lot of her died, too. Mm. And um, this poem, Heart of Darkness, is from a new book that I've been working on called Mother Mirror, God. It's elegies, but celebrations. Sure. both of my mother, but also the world that I now look around at in a different way. There's a certain searing clarity, whether mm. I want it or not, yeah. about time and desire and grief. And so it was wonderful kind of working on the book and, and having to think of my mother and bring her life into a different form in a way, parts of it. And then again, this the parts of it that I can never know being acknowledged as well and being grateful to be her daughter. But yes, this is from a new forthcoming thing um, that I'm super excited about.
1: What I've seen of it has been really tremendous. So uh, I'm looking forward to the whole. Are there more music poems as well? Or is that something you think Mm -hmm. of? I, of course, love a music poem. So, um, you know, what do you see in them? maybe is a better way to ask it?
0: Sure. I usually always have a a music, a musician kind of um, who's Orchestrating things unconsciously. So in mule and pair. It was Nina Simone. Okay. Uh, Miss Simone was kind of working things or showing me the ropes. And in Lighting the Shadow, it was oddly, it was Johnny Cash. Uh, oh, well, he, man in, in black. He'll
1: get you through. He, <laughs> and, he He helped me with a book called Dear Darkness as well. Oh, I love that book so oh, much. Thanks. It's thanks so much. So
0: fantastic.
1: Well, I, I, and so what about this new book? What do you feel?
0: This book is Stevie Wonder. Wow. It's Stevie.
1: Okay, so we have to take a moment to talk Stevie. Yes. Which Stevie, like if you had Desert Island Stevie, one record, one album.
0: Songs in the Key of Life. Wow. See. Okay.
1: Yeah. See, I'm a, a inner vision kind of guy.
0: Inner vision. Okay. <laughs> I'll go
1: there with you. Songs in He's the Key Mr. of Life. He's Mr. Know-It-All. Like these <laughs> these songs that... And then some of the, the you know, uh, All in Love is Fair, one of the saddest oh, songs I've yeah. ever heard in my life. I mean, it's so you heartbreaking. Know. It's devastating. But there's something beautiful and sexy about that record. You yeah.
0: Know? No, it's it's definitely sexy. And it's it's amazing I have a poem called As, Mm. which is about my mother. But then, again, I feel like it actually has some of that rain-light energy, as. And then the epigram of the book is Did You Know You're Loved by Somebody? Mm. Which Stevie asks kind of in the middle, in the chorus of As. He's like, did you know you're loved by somebody? (laughs) And I thought, yeah, that's it, that question. That's great. Yeah, thank you.
1: Well, I'm really looking forward to it and seeing more and hearing stevie through you you. Uh, it sounds wonderful eliza thank you for chatting with us today
0: thank you so much kevin it's been a delight
1: heart of darkness by rachel eliza griffiths as well as ws merwin's poem rain light can be found on newyorker.com the essential ws merwin was published in 2017 rachel eliza griffiths latest book is lighting the shadow
0: You may subscribe to this podcast, the Fiction Podcast, the Writer's Voice Podcast, and the Politics and More Podcast by searching for The New Yorker in your podcast app. You can hear more poetry read by the authors on newyorker.com and on the New Yorker app, available from the App Store or from Google Play. The theme music is The Corner by Christian Scott Atunde-Ajua, courtesy of Stretch Music and Rope-A-Dope. The New Yorker Poetry Podcast is produced by Jill Duboff of NewYorker.com with help from Hannah Eisenman. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts.